Welcome back, people. What are we talking about, Andrew? Oh, shit. We're, we're talking about the new Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mission Impossible Part 15, it feels like, but not in a bad way, right? It's either. I think it's, it's Part 7. It is Part, part 7. Of, yeah, I, was, I was inviting my friend Michael to come out to the movie, and I couldn't get the part right. I was like, Mission Impossible Part 6 or Part 8? <laughs> I looked up as Part 7. <laughs> Damn it. Lucky number seven, <laughs> you know. Lucky number seven. I wonder it- if, you know, because it's lucky number seven, they felt like they could make one of the most expensive films in all of history and get away <laughs> with it. Yo, what was the budget on this? Was it $295 million? Is that what I read? Oh, uh, that sounds right to me. I mean, I have a, a list here of the most expensive productions uh, unadjusted for inflation. And this one is number 14. Yeah, number 290, $290 million. So much money. That so much a, money. That's you know what has did. it beat, though, by just a little a hair, a smidge? Wait, is it going to be Indiana Jones? Yeah, Dial of Destiny. Is that 295? Maybe that's where I read the 295. And you haven't seen it yet, right? I have, I have not seen it. So you're not. holding up the episode on Dial of Destiny. I know. At this moment. So here's the backstory, guys. I was driving out to see this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) And he went and saw it without me. (laughs) You know, that beginning Nazi scene, not to spoil it. No, I don't know. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. (laughs) All right. Back on track. Not Indiana Jones, not yet. It is Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, a.k.a. Part 7. It is about... Tom Cruise, again, doing an impossible mission, right? But this hey. one really is, like, so timely. The villain... Wait, can't wait. The, Before you say that... No, no, yeah, we shouldn't spoil the villain, but it's so... It's because in, they didn't put that in the trailers. They didn't... Did no, they? So, is it in the trailers? I don't think it's in the trailer at all. And the opening of the film kind of sets the stage for what this villain plot device is, and... I was kind of debating on whether we should get into it, you know, in the spoiler free kind of beginning here as we do. Um, But I think we should save it because the opening, you know, they establish it pretty quick and uh, I enjoyed the opening. Yeah. It was very ocean gate. (laughs) Yeah. If you've been following the recent Titanic, Titanic collapse. (laughs) <laughs> if you have liked memes about Ocean Gate and you are a terrible person, you will love the intro <laughs> to this movie. You'd be like, man, this is really timely. <laughs> how'd they know? <laughs> yeah. How'd they know? Um, yeah. $290 million. Insane. Seventh installment. Um, Tom Cruise is producing again. He's put his heart, soul, passion, emotion into this. Uh, I love seeing in the beginning there, it says a Tom Cruise production. He's not even under, you know, a production label that he's created. It's just a Tom Cruise production. (laughs) (laughs) He's earned it, you know? Yeah, uh, hell yeah, he's earned it. it, uh, You know, he seemed like his career was winding down, not to get too off into the Tom Cruise weeds, but... I remember, what was it like? It was like 10, 15 years ago. 
when he started what he started coming back with like Oblivion and it was uh Edge of Tomorrow and he really started coming out with like good action movies again. Yeah. It's like his career found that second wind. Yeah, definitely. Uh I, I think that's right. Right around that time of Oblivion, which I really liked. You know, I liked him as Jack Reacher. I thought and and that may be, you know, a terrible thing to say. Uh of course he's not seven foot tall like Jack Reacher, <laughs> but I actually maybe guilty pleasure, maybe not. Jack Reacher was totally cool. Um but Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol was a little bit before that. And I think really the fourth one in this series, I think, was like the Tom Renaissance, right? The the Cruisessance, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, 100%. And the, um, it's the same director, right? Jack Reacher as uh, the last, like, what, four Mission Impossible movies? Yeah, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, right? Yeah, exactly. Which it, which has turned out to be one of the great, um, just director actor combinations in history, in my opinion. Yeah, this is like uh, Belichick and Brady. One hundred percent with <laughs> like, what they've done with this series. Oh yeah, like no, no doubt. Um, yeah, I remember. You know, I remember when. There was a moment there and I was saying Mission Impossible is doing what the James Bond film should be doing. You know, like I think it was when Spectre came out, frankly, you had Spectre. Was it going up against Fallout or around that same time period? Or maybe it was uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol or, or Rogue Nation, actually. Right. Rogue Nation and Spectre have similar plots. This like shadow government organization yeah, they came out the same year 2015 yeah so i remember yeah you know, ghost protocol was awesome rogue nation i saw specter i saw rogue nation and i was like yeah dude mission impossible they are doing a better job than the bond films like you know this is premi premier premium uh espionage spy thriller film and they bring that into this you know, seventh part, seventh entry. Oh, hands yeah. down. And then Rogue Nation, uh, I guess um, his, it was his, uh, his return to, um, I forget which one it was called. We were just, we just named it. Someone reclines with the building in Dubai. That was the uh, uh, Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Protocol, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, 2015. I think it's Abu Dhabi. It was it. Is that what it was? I think it was uh, – no, because then he hits the – maybe it's Abu Dhabi at one portion, but then the Burj Khalifa is in Dubai, and he hits yeah. that for sure, right? Yeah, and then, and then he really went up the side of that building. Yeah. And then he – what was it – then in Rogue Nation, he hung on to the side of the – The plane? Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's badass. I think that's why Rogue Nation is still my favorite of these new – Mission Impossible, you know, the rebooted second half back end of the series, if you want to call it that. That's the, I think, the coolest stunt that he's done. I mean, he brings it obviously to this one. There is so much, uh, I don't know, marketing material, whatever you want to call it. They yeah. teased the motorbike jump for many months before this thing came out, right? And 
he brings it to this. He brings it. There's always that one crazy big stunt in each of these movies, but Rogue Nation, when he jumps on that plane and is just holding on, and you see it take off, that is just <laughs> yeah. crazy, man. You know? I know. Yeah. Going through, that's a, I'm that's sweating a big... bullets sitting in my seat <laughs> when the <laughs> yeah. flight takes off. He's out on the, you know, hanging out on the side <laughs> of the plane. I, I remember when I was watching that movie and I got out of the theater, and someone was walking behind me and they're like, Yeah, but he was strapped into the plane. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you going to go out there and strap yourself on the side of a plane? You know, yeah. if you don't take private pilot license, you know, courses and you're not willing to do that, you can't talk smack on that. This guy is <laughs> strapped on the outside. You know, I know people are, oh, I don't want to learn how to fly. That's so scary and dangerous. You can't knock him. Yeah, of course he's strapped, man. Yeah. But well, he did it, you know, not a stunt well, double. He did it. Yeah, why was that? Why, why was that? How's that a knock? You know? Yeah, we need him. <laughs> you want him to do literally hang out on the side of the plane? Yeah. But speaking of, you know, hanging on literally and, and, you know, without any assistance, in this one, I don't think it's a spoiler. They advertised it well in advance. The motorbike jump into the canyon with the parachute. He did that thing like eight times or whatever. I feel like he did it way more than eight times. You know, Tom Cruise was crashing motorbikes for this shot. Yeah. And it was awesome. You know, the whole film as it was building up as, you know, watching it, I'm like, okay, when's this going to happen? Where's this at? And then it's 13,000. When you see like the rugged, not rugged, but the green, you know, like, Rolling Mountains. I was like, "Oh, this is it." In here somewhere. <laughs> so he did. So he did thirty jumps a day, just to perfect the jump. So he did thirteen thousand total jumps. He said, "Jeez, thirteen thousand? Yeah, that's and he insane." Made, he, and he did, and he did five hundred skydives for it. Wow. Dedication. I mean, that's he he brings it to every single one of these films, and it's not lost on me, at least as an audience member going in, because I know he cares. I know he's out there putting, you know, you hear these jokes by Brad Pitt and all these other people who go, oh, I'm too old. I'll let the stunt devil handle that. I'm, I'm not, I don't have an ego. I'm not this or that. I look at Tom Cruise and I go, this guy's a professional. He's not doing it for the ego. He's doing it because he wants to work hard. He wants to go in and knock this out. And he said it. I don't know if you're showing that there was the intro by uh, him and, and Christopher McQuarrie. Um, yeah, there was an yeah. intro ahead of the the showing I saw. Yeah, like I, I said, thank do. you, you know, coming to the movies, seeing in the theater and I think he said it in there and maybe somewhere else, but he said, my job is to entertain you all. Like I, I'm here to entertain you. And he takes it seriously. I think he is what the rock wishes he could do for Phillies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. I don't see the rock. get out on the side of a plane. No, no, I don't either. Yeah. So <laughs> Tom Cruise brings it, um, you know, Christopher McQuarrie as director behind the camera brought it again. I mean, I, I think it's done a fantastic job with the series. Uh, what is this? His third, third one, right? Um, Rogue nation fallout. Now this one, and then 
part two. So he'll have four films under his belt. Uh, supporting cast, kind of the same same players. I really love Simon Pegg in these films. Uh, he always, I think, brings that humor and and just I love him. I love seeing him in in these. Oh, Simon Pegg's he's my favorite part of the whole series. He's awesome, isn't he? He's so good. And I, I feel like they when they brought him in originally, he was just going to be in for like that one movie as like a bit part, you know? Yeah, and he's stuck <laughs> around. And I really am happy that this is a series he is a part of and has been a part of now since I think Mission Impossible 3, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, he's been in quite a few now. Yeah, I think he uh, – let's see. What was his first one? Here, why I looked that up? Let's, uh, Who's Simon talk- Pegg? Yeah, I'm looking up to see the first one. Was it the third one? I think it was Mission Impossible 3 with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain. (laughs) The one where he lost his shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, Haley Atwell is New Edition. What's three? As well. Um, You know, I thought Haley Atwell did pretty good. She's carry over into the the second part here, too. And, you know, something I want to talk with you about. The spoiler side of this, uh, regarding her character, I think we kind of briefly talked about it after we got out of the movie, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll leave it for that part, yeah, yeah, fair enough. So, the plot really surrounds kind of two villains without spoiling one of them. There's a primary antagonist, this villain, and then I think the secondary, the one that's kind of in service of the other is uh this guy named Gabriel and I thought he did pretty well. I thought I thought he was an interesting villain. I liked how matter of fact he was, very an absolutist, you know, very pragmatic and confident, mild-mannered even, you know, killed kind of guy. So I I I liked the villain. I liked Gabriel and you know what he brought to it. Um, I think the bigger villain, the main villain, is way more interesting and way more with the times. Um, so, you know, I think stunt work, awesome, direction, great, supporting cast, super cool. Um, you know, the usual suspects are back. The villains, very interesting. And then, you know, the... Without getting into too many spoilers, the filming locations were awesome. You know, one big, huge extended sequence is in Rome. And, you know, they shot in Italy for this. And there's a car chase. There all, there always has to be a car chase in these cities, right? In, in every mission yeah. possible. But they made this car chase <laughs> fresh. They made it. They. What I liked about this entry more than some of the others is I feel like they, in this one, they didn't take themselves so seriously. I felt like they injected humor into it and made it, you know, they, they were kind of laughing at themselves a little bit and it was cool. You know, they threw in some absurd things (laughs) there that worked well and it it made me go, Oh God, another car chase. Oh, actually this is a different kind (laughs) of car chase. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost slapsticky and, uh, it, it was like the, <clears throat> I mean, they always, I feel like one of the staples of Mission Impossible is the tech never works quite how you think it's going to work. 
at least like the last three or four movies, right? Stuff has just been kind of breaking down on him. Yeah. You know, whether it was, uh, you know, going back to uh, Ghost Protocol, when he's climbing up the building, the gloves are failing. Um, the, the way that they handled continuing the failure of technology in this one was just great. <laughs> it definitely, it, it was uh, integrated great into the storyline. Man, this one's really hard to talk about without spoiling anything. <laughs> I know. It's but it, it's fresh. It's a fresh take on a car chase um, where maybe size and, and scale is not more, it's less. And, you know, less is more the way they handled in this this one. It was almost like it was uh, making fun of the board identity. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that for sure. Uh, yeah, so that was a good sequence. They... Another one was the airport scene. There was a lot of anxiety for me in the airport. Yeah. You know, there's a huge kind of subplot going on while Ethan Hunt is tracking down a target in this airport. And I was stressed out, man. I, and, you know, with any kind of down to the, the wire kind of ticking time clock kind of plot device in a film, I think it's easy to start building anxiety, but this one was done well enough where I was like, damn man, you know, if, uh, yeah, if, it, this, it, if this went bad, it goes really bad. Yeah. It was almost like those like 1940s detective films where all the interested parties show up at one time. I really liked that. I'm glad you bring that up because, um, yeah. And this, so kind of high level in this airport sequence, Ethan Hunt is tracking down a target, trying to do a deal. Multiple parties with different motivations and ambitions are all kind of collapsing in on this one location, trying to get Ethan Hunt for different reasons. And it's cool. I mean, it's it's a nice, what, 20-minute sequence maybe in the airport yeah. where oh, this yeah, whole game is going on. Yeah, and he's and they're having to improvise. They're having to, you know, um, there's parties that they know about. There's parties that they don't. And it kind of has that like dramatic irony where you start to realize that there's stuff that Ethan doesn't even he, he's not even aware of. You know, yeah, it's like multi layers of like dramatic irony. And all throughout that, they seamlessly introduce the supporting cast and the people who are going to really stick through the rest of the film. Yeah. I thought it was a good way to keep you engaged, high intensity, but also keep moving the chess pieces on the board with these characters coming in. Yeah. You know, it's um, without spoiling anything again, it reminded me of that quote of uh, when Hitchcock was talking about um, the way to create suspense is to have two characters talking at a table and then the audience is aware of a bomb that's underneath. Yeah, exactly. And that's essentially <laughs> what is happening in this whole sequence. I mean, that is exactly, you know, what is going on. That is a perfect way <laughs> to describe it. Um, so, yeah, you know, sequence is awesome. Super cool fight in uh, Venice and the canals and even like a club scene that is very I saw that and I was like, "Damn, I want to go to this party." In Venice. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, oh man, I. You know, we've seen a lot of these like European club scenes. In recent John movies. Wick, man, has done it, it. 
pretty well you know yeah the, this, boom, this boom, was the, boom techno yeah. like crazy light shows yeah. on the you know coliseum or whatever like ruins historical areas super cool this might be the best i've seen done though i don't know that i'd say the best but it was definitely the first time i i mean maybe by that metric i stopped and i was like that'd be cool to go in there and like hang out yeah, that, you know, was, especially by <laughs> boat, they enter <laughs> yeah. this this club by the canals in Venice. So they jump out this boat and go into this party that is happening within like this. What did you say? Like a courtyard of historic buildings, and they got like lights projected everywhere. And yeah, the, the you know silhouettes dancing. Yeah, super. The lighting's super amazing. Cool. Yeah. What else? The train sequence was super oh, cool. Yep. Very yeah. intense. It's wild. Um, I mean, that's the sequence we all knew was going to happen, right? That's heavily heavily shown in the trailers. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a – I guess maybe that's a slight criticism. A lot of the third act, as far as visually, is shown in the trailer. Like, it's almost exclusively the third act of the film. Yeah, and I think, um, I think that's why I'm hesitant to spoil kind of the beginning here or really get yeah, into it in guess, too I much detail. I guess how do you market this movie without spoiling it? Without sh- like, I guess you have to show that, right? Yeah, you have to. But I'd argue that the first half is better than the second half of the film. Not that I was bored or anything in the second half. I just, when I look back on the film and what I enjoyed the most, I think you know I was the most like engaged or really just interested in kind of the exposition, you know. What they did in the beginning, I really liked. I loved the the car chase, as I was saying. So, yeah, and I think I think it was hard having the train sequence be the last act after. This is I recently watched Bullet Train. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of those mm-hmm. beats are the same, you know. The Bullet yeah. Train was so over the top. Yeah, and it's like how do you over the top that? Yeah, that's right. That's true. Um, yeah, you know, I this one. What, what I think it's ninety what four percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes ninety six right now ninety six gosh yeah um, right there in line with with the other ones you know I think every single one of these films that have been made after Mission Impossible three are sitting in the nineties they're excellent they're great um, you know this this one I don't think is the best of the bunch I. I it's up in, the, I think, in the middle of the pack for me. But, you know, $290 million, they spent the money. You can see, you can tell the scope. I mean, it's a damn near three-hour film, right? Runtime is, I mean, it's long. Um, doesn't feel too long. I mean, I wasn't in there like, oh, what time is it? Get me out of here or anything like that. But reviews are great. I think overwhelmingly positive. From oh, the yeah. critics um, and audiences. What's the audience score on this? Audience score is a 95 right now. Damn, nice. Very nice. Yeah, so on the puffs of approval scale, because this is the full smoke on Dead Reckoning Part 1, where are you throwing this? Where are you throwing? How, how many puffs of smoke would you give it? I'm going to give it four out of five. But I re- I re- we're going to retain the right to up that to 4.5, depending on how they stick to landing, 
and the new context that the story is put into with how they finish the second part. And also to yeah, go down to 3.5, yeah, if they, if they don't stick it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, as a, I, I, I don't have an issue kind of evaluating it. I think it for it being a part one and, you know, it's not a secret, it's part one. It's very much in your face. Um, I think it stands up by itself. The way it ends, you know, I wasn't like, oh, my God, this cliffhanger. I, I need to come back. I, I want to come back. And I almost think the want is more powerful than the need. You know, when I want something, you know, and I'm invested in it, I want to come back. I think that's um, a movie well made. I think they did a great job from a script standpoint, storytelling standpoint to end it in a way where I'm like, you're not leaving anything unresolved. What you're doing is actually you're, you're saying there are a whole nother basket of issues that now need to be addressed. And that's why you want to come back. So as a standalone, I think I'd give it four puffs out of five. Um, they shot this film back to back with the sequel and the sequel is coming out June of next year. So we don't have to wait too long, which is cool, but yeah. You know, four puffs out out of five. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, you know, I agree too. It, it does stand well on its own, and uh, you know, I guess uh, we could talk more about how well it stands on its own when we immediately go over to the dark side, the spoiler side. Spoilers. Okay, I think <laughs> you know we gave the puffs. We're twenty six minutes in now, folks. Hopefully that's tantalizing enough. That's exciting enough to get you to go see it. I think you should go see it. Yeah, it go feels, see this movie. Yeah, it feels like summer blockbuster season is back, baby. I mean, we've had terrible years now due to the COVID pandemic. The summer, you know, box office has been meh. You know, it's just oh, been yeah. meh. This is the first summer in a long time, maybe even since 2019, that I've been really really excited you know we have mission impossible we have oppenheimer we have barbie we have a bunch of movies that are out this season and it's i feel like a kid again back at the movies so this movie for me hits that mark it's that fun awesome go see it on the biggest screen you can find eat some popcorn avoid the tummy ache and have a good time (laughs) So go see it. Yeah, go see it. And uh, just remember, this might be the last blockbuster summer we have for a while. The actors just went on strike. That is true. That is true. (laughs) No actors got no writers. It's very sad that they went on strike. (laughs) Just going to tear for our crying actors. We're shedding a couple tears. I am shedding in all seriousness, I guess, <laughs> you know, things are going to probably be delayed now because of the strike. Writers and actors, right? Oh, this is, a, this is a, just going to throw everything into a mess. I mean, you're going to have everything stopped, right? So all the schedules are going to be pushed back. That means things are going to be able to start on time. We have to reschedule everything. Um, just the, all the small businesses that go to, Keeping these industries afloat, the catering, the the dry cleaning, whatever you know, whatever it is, right? Some of those are going to go under. They're not going to be available anymore. They're not going to be able to keep the doors open for if this thing goes on for three or four months, you know. And 
all these things that keep that movie industry going are just going to be thrown into a big mess, regardless of whether or not you agree or disagree with uh, the demands. Yeah, I read something about the last writer's strike alone, just the writer's strike. It was like a $2 billion impact or something like that. And I think it lasted three or four months. Yeah, that's insane. So, you know, with the actors out as well as the writers, you know, this time, I can only imagine. Um, I kind of want to see the chaos, but I also, you know, want these people to get a fair deal and all that. And, you know, I think it would be interesting to do an episode on, you know, the strikes, kind of go over what people are complaining about, what they want done and, you know, where the disagreements are at. Because, you know, I kind of know a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I think it'd be a good opportunity to learn, learn what what's going yeah. on, really, the yeah, specifics. I know I agree. Um, I know that you know, just off of like some preliminary reading, it doesn't, it feels like that both sides can be acting in bad faith with how they discuss the situation. But then again, I'm not in industry, so I really don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So that's hard to my- say. That's my normal state in life. It's not knowing what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. People <laughs> who don't know what they're talking about have podcasts, you know. <laughs> yeah, the people that do do their <laughs> motorcycle jump 13,000 times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're producing problem. films <laughs> that gross a billion dollars at the box office. <laughs> yeah. I've been alive 13,000 days. <laughs> he said 13,000 jumps. Right. Okay, so – Enter spoilers here. This is this is it, right? <laughs> here we go. Spoilers. No so, more soundboard for you. <laughs> yeah. My soundboard privileges are going to be revoked if I'm not careful. <laughs> Although I think it's been good use. I think it has been in good taste thus far. You're, you're just trying to tickle my baseball fancy. I am. That is true. <laughs> I'm always trying to do that. Um, so the plot overall. Boom, high-level plot. Really, wait, this movie centers around... Wait, before you say that, can I oh, sum it up in one one title? Yeah, boom. This should be called Mission Impossible Chat GPT. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chat GPT 5. Yeah. That's what it should be called. Um, yeah, so the villain is really this weapon that is... AI. It, it is general artificial intelligence. So the film starts with this like super awesome stealth submarine that the Russians have deployed, I think in the Arctic. And it shows these two naval officers kind of enter almost like a reactor core, but it's really like um, the computer core of the submarine and it's revealed that they're using an artificial intelligence to operate the submarine. And that's what gives it the ability to avoid any and all detection from adversaries. So they, the Russians have like solved, you know, this huge national defense kind of issue um, from the Naval side, but the artificial intelligence on the sub basically outwits its human operators and stages its own, I guess, 
destruction and kills everyone on board. And the artificial intelligence is able to escape to the cloud, the internet, and is out there monitoring everything that's connected to the internet and the cloud. And it is kind of the ominous primary foe in the background of this film. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, immediately from there, you it's inner, you're introduced to um, this mission being delivered, you know, to Tom Cruise, should he accept it? Right. You know, the the famous (laughs) line. We're going to tell you all the details and then you can choose after. (laughs) Yeah. Here, here they are. Um, But his job is to recover basically the key that unlocks this computer core on the, the crashed submarine. And the key is split. It takes two operators to use this key. It's split in half. Uh, you bring it together into two pieces, into one you can use to open up this you know, core that contains the source code of this artificial intelligence. And yeah. uh, they don't tell him any of this, though. They don't tell Ethan Hunt why yeah. you know he needs to get this key just that he needs to recover the key yeah as we go on we find out that no no one knows what they just, everyone just knows they need the key they know it has to do with this all-powerful ai but no one knows what it belongs to everyone that did is dead on the, on the submarine and so it's this mission to solve like one half of this puzzle which is just get the keys and then figure out where the key goes to later Although they have the major players, whether it's the CIA, the different governments of the world, they all have this idea, you know, this maybe false idea, definitely false idea that if they get these keys, they can use it to somehow control this AI and weaponize it, that whoever gets to it first can can control it and use it to be the premier superpower of the earth and really dominate everyone else. They are the, the world power if yeah. they can control this thing. Now, did, was I the only one that got the uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings flashback with the one ring? Boromir talking about how they should wield it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's what all these government uh agents sound like, you know. We we can control it. We yeah. can use it. And, and it's even, like Yeah, it's, it's almost like they're they're so drunk with power too. Like they like they don't shy away from when they're talking about it, it's almost like they're being taken over. And you know what? Maybe I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't make the direct connection until now. I love Lord of the Rings. I'll probably rant and rave about it in an episode or 15 at some point in the future. But Ethan Hunt is Frodo Baggins. He is yeah, Frodo Baggins. That's, it. That's, his, that's who he is in this. He's, uh, he's the only one that wants to destroy it. Yeah, he's like, let's destroy this ring, man. And I'm willing to do it. Let's destroy this chat GPT-5. I can't control yeah. this. No one can control this thing. <laughs> And and that's uh, that's the only thing that we find out that the AI is actually scared of. Yeah, it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's the only one that doesn't want to wield it, so it can't be manipulated. Yeah, and the people who do try to wield it are manipulated, you know, greatly throughout the Easily. film, and, and you see that. Yeah. yeah, 
that the AI is multiple steps ahead of all the human players throughout the whole film. To the point where it's promising his, uh, it's right hand man, I said him, I guess it doesn't have a gender, <laughs> it's just an entity. Yeah. And, uh, but Gabriel works for the AI. Gabriel's the character we mentioned earlier. You see him in the trailers. It's um, the one that kind of referenced to having a past with Tom Cruise. Turns out that there's like a little seven second black and white clip in the beginning of the movie where you find out that Tom Cruise thought that this guy was dead and that he was betrayed by him. This is actually how Tom Cruise, it's that event that got him into IMF. He was uh, either wrongly accused of murder or you know, set up by Gabriel or you know, something along those lines. And uh, so they have a history. And this is someone that definitely th- Tom Cruise is hes scared about. He's nervous. It makes him nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I liked, I liked Gabriel and um, I thought he was an interesting character for sure. So he gets this mission. He goes to the desert first to really recover Rebecca Ferguson's character who has one half of this key, right? He gets there. Uh, the desert sequence was kind of cool. I mean, I thought it was actually just eh, for Mission Impossible standards. I don't know about you. He's running around on a horse, a couple of people on horses. They're gunfighting on horses. I just saw that in John Wick 4. Maybe that's yeah, you know, 3 I, or whatever it was. It was a... It's an interesting editing style too, where you think that Tom Cruise is fighting this woman trying to protect Rebecca Ferguson, but then, right, because she has she has half of this key, and we're not sure why she has half of this key, or if she even knows what's up, but she has it. And so they're they're, they're fighting through these broken buildings out in the desert, and this big sandstorm, and Tom Cruise and her are working together, and they're defeating all these people. But there's this woman on the the bad guy side these bad guy mercenaries. And she seems to be the only one that's like competent in fighting back against them. And then her and Rebecca Ferguson go against each other and they each shoot. And you see Rebecca Ferguson down face down on the ground dead. And then, you know, Tom Cruise is relaying the story over to uh, the head of the IMF. And he's basically like, yeah, she died. They talk about it. And then right afterwards, you realize that was it that that woman didn't even exist. That that was Rebecca Ferguson the whole time. Which woman? The woman with the mask. Because all of a sudden they cut to it and you realize that Rebecca Ferguson is the one wearing that mask, that yellow mm. mask. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. But he recovers the half of the key from her, right? And they decide, him and his team, um, Luther, Benji, they decide they're going to go and get the second half by advertising that they're willing to sell the first half, right? So they go mm-hmm. to the airport uh, in Abu Dhabi and they try to, you know, s- execute this deal, this exchange for one half. And I think the idea is he's going to give the half to the buyer who has the second half. He's going to then follow that buyer to then ultimately recover the full key after he gives it up. You know, because they believe the buyer has the other half. But this sets up the whole Abu Dhabi airport sequence that, you know, I was talking about earlier, where the main plot is, you know, Ethan is trying to execute this deal. He gets pickpocketed by Haley Atwell's character. She's very clever and funny 
Um, and, you know, it's very smooth with the pickpocket and the, you know, the sleight of hand. So she's introduced and they're kind of going tit for tat and all this, you know, while trying to execute this deal. But the subplot, as you were saying earlier, that Hitchcock had mentioned, uh, yeah. you said Hitchcock, right? Yeah, yeah, Hitchcock. Yeah. And uh, the subplot is that, you know, Luther and Benji are trying to help Ethan. You know, they're on comms and, and his tech support like they normally do. You know, they're in his ears telling him, hey, go here, do this, blah, 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 blah. While they're doing that, they see a suspicious package in the airport being uh, taken to baggage handling. And so they decide not to tell Ethan what's going on. They don't want to distract him. But what they find out is it's this nuclear weapon. And Simon Pegg's character, <laughs> Benji, he intercepts this. And this is all going on while like the intensity of Ethan, you know, stealing back the half of the key from Haley Atwell's character and trying to get to the buyer. Uh, this is all going on at the same time. And then in addition to that, you have agents of who the CIA maybe Yeah, CIA. they're all descending upon the airport trying to get Ethan hunt. So he's being told, don't go here. Don't do this. You got 10, you know, American agents who are in these different areas of the airport. So there's just a huge level of anxiety that is present for the main, you know, objective. And the secondary objective is this, atomic bomb that Benji finds. And when he finds it, it starts to, you know, boom, five minutes, it's going to detonate and it runs him through yeah. a series of riddles. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, like the Batman the Riddler. Yeah. 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 And it, you know, some of the questions were, were funny and even, you know, oh, what's this riddle? What's this mean? And they're talking to each other through comms. <laughs> and Ethan Hunt's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, oh, nothing. Everything's okay. And, you know, they don't tell him that this they found this nuclear <laughs> bomb that will kill every single person in the airport and many more in the surrounding <laughs> yeah. you know, So he's, he's in the fight. He has no idea. And all of a sudden they give him a riddle. He's like, what is this? They're like, what is, uh, what is always coming but never arrives? <laughs> it's the riddle. <laughs> and so he's uh, – him and uh, Haley Atwell, they're trying to avoid all these people trying to find them. and. Ethan Hunt all of a sudden just has this riddle being like frantically asked to him in the background. He's like, what? He's like, I don't know. And uh, Haley Atwell overhears it. She's like, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, it's always coming, but never arrives. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's pretty funny. Like, it is. The play between the bomb being so serious of a threat and just how light they're trying to keep it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what is this for? Like, well, there's a nuclear bomb and it's going to go off in two minutes. He's like, well, why are you telling me? Yeah, he's like, that's something you immediately tell me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, how much time do I have left to help you defuse this? They're like 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It was very funny. So they defuse the bomb. It's not actually a bomb. But what it required was Benji to speak commands into this like cipher that's, you know, the housing of, of what they thought was a nuclear bomb. And the AI, they call it the entity, this AI is really the one who has 
put the bomb there and is collecting information about them through the questions it was asking, you know, to decipher this thing so that it could later use that information against them. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they, they defuse the bomb. So they're good there, but ultimately Haley Atwell's character gets away with the two halves of the key uh, jumps on a flight to Rome and Tom Cruise is kind of left running across the top of the. Oh, that was a great shot. Abu Dhabi airport. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. <laughs> yeah, there, You can see the CIA looking for him in the airport and then right above just at the top of the frame is Tom Cruise running across the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Just boop, 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 boop. Doing his <laughs> typical sprint. He's just, he's printed. He, this might be the most I've ever seen him run too. Like he runs in all of his movies, but he's probably running he's like half the movie. a lot in this. Yeah. He was for sure. They even got Simon Pegg running for a second. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wonder if he gave him any tips. <laughs> right. So they go to Rome. He intercepts, you know, Ethan Hunt intercepts Haley Atwell, her character. And they kind of team up, but it's a very like iffy alliance, yeah. you know, and, and the Italian authorities basically seized her as soon as she landed. Cause Ethan Hunt tipped him off that, you know, she's this thief. She has like five passports on her. <laughs> yeah. and like, who the hell are you lady? Like 40 crimes. Like, like yeah, torture. all these crimes. Yeah. And so he jumps in, you know, to this, building or whatever he gets there poses as her lawyer and says, you know, I'll get you out of here. And so, you know, they get out of there, but they are not, they don't get out smoothly. She, I think yells, right? She's like, don't touch me or whatever. And and kind of like, yeah, she like accuses him of like like assault. Yeah. yeah. And so all the guys in the room just are like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and it's not smooth, and, and it calls attention to both of them. And what ensues is the car chase. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's not up to task for this type of uh, attention. She's a, she's a small-time crook, you know, just kind of does it to have nice clothes and live a nice life. And she's dragged into this, you know, international conspiracy and does not know how to handle herself. That's one of the kind of like the big recurring themes about how she acts. She's constantly feeling overwhelmed. And uh, that really plays off in the car chase that we're about to talk about. <laughs> because, uh, you know, her and Tom Cruise basically uh, have to get away together. And she's forced to drive through a, a couple, I think, things that are, I think are kind of best to still be watched, even though this is a spoiler part. There's a, a huge slapstick thing where basically uh, – well, hold on, together. hold on. The reason she has to drive is because they're they get handcuffed together. Yeah. Well, that, that so was. That's what I'm saying. I'm always like tied between like, do we want to spoil like every little detail, or like do we want to like leave something to the imagination? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think because you may those who are listening may go, well, why doesn't Tom Cruise this big crazy Asian? No, you're right. You're right. Why isn't you're he right. driving? And it's because they're the way they're handcuffed together. It's. It would require for him to be in the driver's seat, his left arm to be across his chest to Haley Atwell's character because his left arm is handcuffed to her right. 
So her sitting in the driver's seat is more natural and comfortable. And so he attempts to have her drive kind of at first and <laughs> she is terrible at it. And it's very yeah, funny. She, yeah. Just crashes into a bunch of stuff. And then she just crashes into like 30 scooters and she looks at him. She's like, all right, you're driving now. <laughs> yeah. And so he, you know, she jumps across his lap and he's driving and they ultimately, you know, are being chased by what Interpol, the CIA, local, a bunch of different forces. Yeah. Local police, Interpol, and then uh, get Gabriel's gang. Yeah. His gang. Yep. That's right. With yeah. uh, Mantis on the scene, driving yep. an armored truck. Yeah. Mantis from, uh, for those who don't know, that's from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. The same actress that plays Mantis is, a uh, is uh, the right hand woman to Gabriel in this. She's a awesome swordswoman. Swordsman. Yeah, she. I think she did great in this movie. Yeah, really. I really think that she. Uh, man, I would never expect her to be a villain either. She did so good. I know she really did. I was super impressed and happy to see her in the film, and um, she's in part two. She yeah. will be in part two. Oh yeah, because uh, I guess we, we'll have to come back later on how she interjects with the plot. But yeah, I wasn't even thinking. I yeah, know, I thought that she just didn't make it at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, it's very iffy and sketchy, right? At the end yeah. For her. But she's chasing them in this armored car, you know, badass chase through Rome. And they eventually kind of get away a little bit. And he's like, you know, Ethan Hunt says, I'll get us a safe car. So he pulls up his phone, you know, gets on this like Mission Impossible or IMF app for houses and cars or whatever he clicks a, a car and it cuts to them like walking through this what is it like a i don't know side street or something and there's yeah, all these street. cars yeah really nice cars like lamborghinis badass yeah like exotic cars <laughs> and, <laughs> oh man and then you see like the camera is showing i think it's a lambo or something like that and yeah, what actually the car they get is this like little Fiat 500 <laughs> yellow tiny car that's not very, you know, it's old. It's probably like a 1980s Fiat 500. <laughs> Remind me of your little Fiat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I used to have a 500 uh, electric, but this one was old. It was little. Yeah. It you know they jump in and you have this like super serious spy espionage movie car chase where they're in this little tiny clown car and, and it's, they're basically being chased by a tank like a fast yeah. tank yeah huge <laughs> tank versus this little yellow Fiat and it's hilarious <laughs> with how they're driving the car <laughs> you know they they're running around it it's so little and you know there's. Haley Atwell's character drives it at one point and they're doing donuts. She <laughs> can't control it. It looks like a little RC car that's gotten, <laughs> you know, out of control. Remember as a kid we those yeah. powerful RC cars. Yeah. Then they're rolling it and then every time they roll it, they end up switched in seats. <laughs> yeah. It was very funny. It was very good. Uh, I think one of my favorite car chases. I'd put that in my top five car chases. The number one is to live and die in LA. That was a sure. good car chase, yeah. Uh, but this one's up there. Little Fiat 500 yellow. <laughs> yeah. Pretty it's, good. 
it did better than uh, than the board identity with the same type of stuff. Yeah. So what happens after that? They get away in the Fiat eventually. And I think really is this, you know, they want to meet up with. Um, oh, that's uh, where she gets away again, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. She does. She leaves her for dead on the train tracks. She does. Yep. Well, she kind of leaves her for dead. She gives him the. So she gets out with a, a paperclip that she stole off of one of her passports from earlier. And they drive through this like little fence to get away from everyone. And they go down this tunnel and then they end up on a train track. And when they do, so they land, you realize that she's already uh, done her her end of the uh, handcuffs and she handcuffed Ethan Hawke to uh, the steering wheel. And there's a train coming. And so she gives him the paperclip and just basically gets out of there. And at the last second, he's able to, uh, he's not able to do his, uh, his handcuffs. He has to rip off the steering wheel. So for like the, the next bit is actually just him walking through, <laughs> you know, walking through the city with a handcuff steering wheel to his hand. Yeah, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> I thought like, oh, he's badass Ethan Hunt. He's going to get out of this quickly with his little paper clip. <laughs> he just rips the steering column off. <laughs> yeah. So they leave Rome. He meets up with his team, you know, Benji, Luther, and uh, Ilsa, right? She comes back, and they – basically try to go to a party in Venice that Alana is conducting. And what's going to happen is Haley Atwell's character is there to do a deal, sell part of the key or both parts um, to Alana. And they descend on this party. This is what we were talking about earlier you know, there are super cool canal shots with them in nice boats, and these boats roll up to the party. The party's, you know, this very, like, I don't know, not a rave, but, like, electronic, like, EDM kind of yeah. vibe, like, high yeah, class. That's what you'd expect, like, James Bond party to be in the new movies or John Wick's uh, EDM parties. Very European, very electronic, and then a lot of old architecture. Yeah. And uh, basically, this is, like, where... Gabriel and all the other players all come together in one location. And Gabriel basically says, look, I'm not worried about getting this key. I know it's coming to me. The entity who I'm working for is able to sit here and think of every single possible outcome, you know, Dr. Strange uh, style. The key is going to be at my feet tomorrow on the train. Yeah, it will be at my feet do whatever you need to do, but you can't defeat the entity. Everything that, you know, I say is going to happen is already written. It will happen. And he's very confident, very almost stoic with it, you know? Yeah, he's a, he's a believer. He's a, he's, he's a radical believer. He calls him the, a fanatic, Ethan Hunt or Tom yeah, Cruise. He, you know, he's like, what are you going to do? Listen to this fanatic. <laughs> yeah, he is a fanatic. He is a fanatic. Ah, but- but it's cool. I mean, a good bad guy should almost be fanatical, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they're, they're motivated to a level of extremism, whether it's, you know, violence, plagues, meticulous, methodical thinking, whatever. I feel like you have to be fanatical to have the energy to perform at that level, whether it's for good or for bad. Yeah. It makes sense. It's well said. 
Yeah, and I like that. Maybe that's why I I respect the character of Gabriel because you know I may not agree with him. You know, actually, I agree with the idea that you know this thing can sit here. It is artificial general intelligence. You can't compete against it. But you know, I don't agree with him thinking he he can control it or even use it. So I I, I appreciate kind of his motivations, but I think he he's Boromir. God damn it. I don't even think he thinks he can use it. I think he's just completely himself be a weapon of it. Like the the only time that he they kind of hint at that is uh he's Gollum. Is <laughs> yeah, I think he's just Gollum here. I think he just he's given himself completely over to whatever this uh, entity wants him to do. I thought he had a motivation though to get to the source code, and he, I thought he there is a, I thought he had some sort of illusion or belief that if he got to the source code, well, that was what um to wield it. That's what the man in black said uh, from from the Princess Bride, Carrie uh, Lewis, who's uh, yeah. one of the directors of, uh, I think, director of the CIA in this. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Or um, he's the national security director. Yeah, that's what he is. Yeah. He, he tells Gabriel that Gabriel is trying to utilize it. Gabriel just kind of smiles at him. But he never confirms it. Yeah, I think um, I think he's Gollum. <laughs> Yeah, and that that he you know that he even does what he does after because the the entity told him that that would happen and that he needs to do this. Yeah, so they get basically they get away from this party. Gabriel leaves, but he kills Ilsa. Well, he, he more importantly, before they leave the party, he tells Ethan the entity said that all these things will happen if either you and he points points at um Grace. And then, or Ilsa, she says, one of you has, has to die. If, the, if one of you dies, then everything that then she says will happen, will happen. And that's how they leave the party. And it turns out that one of them does die. Yeah. And it's, it's Ilsa. And uh, basically, you know, they, Gabriel gets away. Um, Ilsa's dead and everyone's kind of sitting there. Very Empire strikes back at a loss at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. It, like it's, it's almost like they could have made this into three movies and had that be the end of the first. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, if part two has the same length, I could definitely see maybe like three two-hour films in there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Two, four, six hours total. Does that be a good kind of cliffhanger with him killing them and kind of making out? Um, but so, you know, what happens next? So what happens next is, uh, Grace finally decides to join, you know, Ethan's little gang in IMF and Ethan gives her the rundown. He says, Hey, if you want to join, then this is your chance. And I can't promise that I'll keep you alive. Like Elsa's dead here, but what I can do is I promise that your life will always be worth more than mine. So if you want to join up with us, then we need to go find the, those uh, two halves of the key, which now the, the buyer from the party has. We need to get on this train where this deal is going to go down. And we need to find out who's buying these keys so that way we can track them and find out what this thing opens. And, you know, he basically tells her she should have to take a leap of faith that only one of them, is, only, he's going to be able to get out from the train at the end, but she's going to be captured. And, 
Well, she's captured. She's going to have to tell Kittredge, who's the, the head of the IMF, that you know she she's been given the choice by Ethan, and that she's choosing to accept. And the choice is uh, what everyone in IMF gets, which is basically you can face all the consequences of your life, or you can choose to give yourself to a mission that's bigger than yourself. Yeah, and this sets up Act Three, which. You know, I don't I don't want to spoil all of Act 3 or go into, you know, the level of detail um, that sets yeah. up kind of the ending. But I think we should make people go see the movie still because yeah, I think 90% of people listening to this are, still haven't seen the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, Act 3 is great. So Act 3 is the business still is going down on the train. They're trying to get on the train to get the key, uh, both parts of the key, and then make out, you know, as as the heroes, um, Haley Atwell has agreed to get on the train and impersonate Alana's character, knocking her out, you know, and basically impersonating her to get the steal going on um, to recover the keys and then get out. And Ethan Hunt's supposed to get on the train, grab her, get off the train with her and the keys and, you know, right off in the sunset. And this really sets up the, you know, the big stunt of the film, which is the cliff jump motorbike, you know, cliff jump parachute. And yeah. what's going on is, you know, the train is, you know, hauling, you know, through the mountainside and all this. And Gabriel gets on the train and actually increases its speed, sabotages the ability to reduce its speed kills the conductor and it destroys Ethan Hunt's plan to basically wait on kind of like a, a turn yeah. where the train would slow down and he'd have enough yeah, time to jump onto time. the train. And so it puts him in a position where he has to basically take an alternate route and he gets to the top of this mountain and decides that he's going to jump the cliff and parachute onto the plane. Exactly. And it's awesome. It works out exactly, exactly like the trailer. <laughs> Just like the trailer and his entry into the plane or the uh, train is hilarious. I thought <laughs> yeah, that was so good. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to spoil that one. Yeah, neither do I. It's like it's sloppy, and that's what makes it great. The whole, the whole last scene is sloppy. The whole thing, yeah. The whole, yeah, it's very sloppy. It's not polished, which is super cool. Yeah. I do think the helicopter sequence in Fallout was better than this, though. This was cool, but I, I thought, yeah. I, no, I, think I think I liked, if I had to rank them, I would put. Uh, Rogue Nation is number one, Fallout, and then Dead Reckoning Part One, and then Ghost Protocol. Yeah, I would, I would put this ahead of, of Fallout overall. I didn't really like. Uh, it's only because you don't like JJ, and I don't like JJ Abrams either. JJ Abrams is not involved with this film. Fun yeah. fact. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned that earlier. This is <laughs> no, the first film since the third that. Uh, you know, he, he's not involved. He's not producing. Bad Robot is not a part of this. Finally. Which is finally, funny. Finally, damn this, it. This movie is about a bad robot. It is, right? <laughs> That's true. This movie is about a bad robot. You would think they would be involved. Maybe it's a 
It's a metaphor for them getting out of a bad production company. Yikes. I don't know, man. <laughs> bad robot. Fuck J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I said it here. <laughs> Did he ruin the Star Trek movies and the Star Wars movies? I mean, my main issue with him is the Star Wars sequels. Mine, mine is too. And uh, I was too young when the Star, Star Trek movies came out to really appreciate how anti-Star Trek those, those were. Because they're just big action space movies. But Star Trek is about discovering new planets and kind of like the philosophy of space travel. Those were yeah. not that <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, so JJ's not involved, and I didn't notice um, a drop in quality or anything like that. I, so I thought his that... producing powers are not missed, I don't think. No. And, uh, so, you know, he, he directed the weakest of the new – because I, I don't know about you, but I would consider number three to be kind of like the revival of the Mission Impossible franchise. I agree. I mean, and the that, first was okay. I don't think it's as great as people – make it out to be i liked it but first was okay the second you know john woo respect but no yeah, it's was like a shallow blockbuster kind of action yeah movie. the second one was weak although i will say that that one that's when tom cruise started his whole i'm gonna do the stunts for real kick because that's yeah. when he he did the, the rock climbing and i remember there's old promotional material because he produced the second one He's like, I had to go to the producer, which is myself. <laughs> yeah. like, You're going to climb up that mountain. <laughs> but I think your point is that out of the re- like the rebooted kind of revival of the, the series, his is the weakest. Oh, by far the weakest, too. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the bad guy died by being hit by a random car. That is true, yeah. And like, we never found out what the rabbit foot was about. And- Last thing we saw from Philip Seymour Hoffman was just a shoe flying up in the air. J.J. Abrams. You got to do a whole episode on J.J. <laughs> yeah. So the end, I guess to wrap it up, there is closure in, in terms of the plot. There is closure. Um, Ethan is left in a position where he knows what the next step of the mission needs to be. And I think there's just enough intrigue and interest there where you go, okay, I'm ready for, you know, next summer for the, the second half of this thing. Right. Yeah. It ends on a very optimistic note. Like not, it's not all is lost. He's, he's finally got the upper hand for the first time in the whole movie. Yeah. He's been like behind the whole film. That's yeah, right. the whole time. This is the first time we're, so I feel like we're setting up to, to see a really big blowback from the entity on him because that was not how the thing was supposed to go. Yeah, I can only imagine what, you know, this AI that has infiltrated every military system in the world and every computer network, the internet, everything, like what it's going to do now to Ethan Hunt. Oh, I think uh, I think you and I already have an answer for that, for what that's going to involve in the next movie. It's going to involve biplanes, because <laughs> all that advertising of him flying around in those biplanes and he's filming the next uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah, I wonder if that's why he is in a biplane because it's yeah, so yeah. analog. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think he has to go completely analog. He has to be in equipment and use tools and all this that the entity cannot touch yeah. or communicate with. Exactly. 
which I'm excited for that part. Oh, I'm super excited. It's going to be some old Indiana Jones type stunts. Yeah, as long as he's not jumping out with a raft, a blow-up raft into a snowy mountain and then swimming. What if he writes the river? A lead fridge down the side of the mountain, though. See, I like I said the other day when we were ranting about this, and we see watch Dial Destiny so we can put this in that episode. <laughs> but I will never be upset about the lead fridge, the nuke of the fridge, because all you indie fans, he jumped out of a goddamn plane with two other human beings with an inflatable life raft. And skied with it and then went into waters with it and then fell over waterfalls with it. Come on. <laughs> How would that raft for like whatever I go rafting? <laughs> it's a that raft, raft is a parachute. It's a, a sled. It's a water <laughs> vehicle. It's it's everything. It's a Swiss Army raft right there. Yeah. It'd probably serve as a shelter too. <laughs> How do our how do our movie reviews always end up being like over half the length of the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's good detail. You know, hopefully it's for the people who maybe are like iffy. It's for the, I think the people who one foot in, one foot out, maybe they go, oh, it sounds interesting. The first 15, 20 maybe is not doing it for me. But yeah, if, if I hear the details of the plot, oh, yeah, yeah, let me go see that. Or, oh, God, no, I'm glad I saved some money. We're trying to save people money. With these long form reviews. Yes, right? we're saving you money. We're not saving you time. But if you're still one foot in, one foot out, after an hour and 11 minutes, go see the movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's if you're listening at this point, you need to see this movie. Exactly. Out of respect. Respect. Tom Cruise, man, he brought it. He did. Four he pups out of five. Brought it. Yeah, he's, I mean, Tom Cruise. He did it. A Tom Cruise production, baby. We need I'm to excited. get him producing a podcast episode. I know, right? I wonder what kind of stunts he would do if he would just be jumping out of a plane. <laughs> Probably. All right, folks, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank Hour you. Thank you. Minutes, and I'm out. <laughs>